drive time, keeping you informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information from the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic drive time. And welcome to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. Good morning to you. It's so good to be on with you. Today is Friday, April 21st, 2023. It's the Feast of St. Anselm of Canterbury. He was a Benedictine abbot who became the Archbishop of Canterbury, and he was intrepid in his combat for the faith in the defense of the church against King William II, also known as William Rufus. St. Anselm was reluctant to accept the position of Archbishop of Canterbury due to the problems that would arise from the king's stubborn encroachment into the affairs of the church. He argued that he was barely able to bear the load of an entire church, let alone mingle in the temporal affairs. The bishops responded that they would take care of the temporal affairs, and Anselm raised new arguments that he could not abandon his many obligations. The king gravely ill urged him to accept, warning that his refusal would result in the king's death. Those present accused Anselm of cowardice, and a crozier was placed in his hand. As he had it, they shouted, Long live the bishop, and sang the Te Deum. This, Ill- this event illustrates the struggle between the church and temporal power, with Anselm reluctance highlighting the tension between the two. St. Anselm of Canterbury, pray for us good morning to you today is in fact a friday so congratulations you made it to the weekend i hope you're going to have a blessed weekend the weekend is uh, upon us i hope uh, it's restful i know i'm going to try to get some rest we'll see how that goes it's a uh, look it's looking unlikely my cousin is getting married today and i'm really excited to uh to go to the wedding so that's going to be today but it's going to be so late it's going to be so late. The wedding starts at 2 p.m. and it's going to go into, uh, all the way until like probably like midnight or something ridiculous. Um, but it'll be good, though. It'll be good. I'm excited. So prayers for my cousin Haley and her soon-to-be husband, Jared. I'm very excited to be able to go to that wedding today. So lots of weddings. Everybody's getting married uh, right now. It's kind of crazy, but it's good. Praise be to God. Um, oh, and speaking of things that are great... My friend, uh, Jonah Burrier, just turned 13 years old today. So happy birthday to you, Jonah Burrier. Praise be to God. I hope that you're having a blessed birthday. And uh, if you're still joining us during the after show, we'd love to chat and find out what you're doing for your birthday. So happy birthday to you, Jonah. Uh, good morning to you, Tito Edwards. Good morning, Adrian. It's Friday. That's all I, I want to say today. It's Friday. What a good week. Yeah, lots of uh, uh, interesting news stories, to say the least, this past week. But today is Friday. We've got a big weekend this coming up. And, uh, yeah, a lot of your friends are getting married. That's awesome. That's, that's about right. You're in uh, your early 20s. So good for you. Yeah, there you go. Um, what do you got planned this weekend? You said you got a big weekend? Yes, uh, going out to dinner with friends tomorrow night. And then Sunday, uh, old friend's coming into town. He, he's going to do a commando, doing a 24-hour thing. I don't know. Uh, well, he says he's pretty busy. So we're going to meet up with him and his wife for lunch on Sunday. Of course, 
lovely mass we'll be attending before the big dinner tomorrow night. I'll, I probably will be serving as an acolyte. And tomorrow morning, I know we've got something. I just don't know what it is, but uh, it won't require me getting up at 3 in the morning, though. That's good. That's good. Yeah. You know, last night I was, had the privilege. I was at the Arstausen uh, Gala for 175th anniversary of the uh, the anniversary of the founding of the Galveston Archdiocese of the Galveston Houston. There, I could get the words out of my mouth, and uh, it was really really cool. They had a bunch of the kind of uh, the vestments and everything from the early in the days of the Archdiocese of Galveston Houston. I'm like, whoa, that is one beautiful vestment. I was just absolutely blown away by some of these vestments. Take them out of the museum and put them on, Cardinal. It would look so good. It would look so good. Uh, but unfortunately, it's in a it's a museum piece now. But I did have the privilege of sitting next to the Oratorian, uh, His Excellency, the Oratorian Father Mario Alberto Avier, I believe is or how you pronounce his last name or Avilas Avilas. Um, it's a he says uh, he's Mexican. A I very much enjoyed my conversation with him. It was really nice to meet him. Uh, so prayers for. For His Excellency uh, Mario Alberto Avalle, Avilas, Avilas, Avilas. There you go. I can say words. And so that was really cool. I told him I was going to visit his diocese for, for the Triduum, and that's when I wrecked my car. <laughs> he was like, oh, no. <laughs> but it was, uh, it was actually funny because I was actually going to visit the Oratorians in Brownsville, and he was an Oratorian father when, before he became a bishop. So it's got a cool conversation that I got to have with him. Uh, so that was a, a good event tomorrow. But I, pff, I got home at like 11 o'clock at night, though. So I am just like dead right now. But uh, tomorrow is uh, the boxing fight between um, Ryan Garcia and Tank Davis, if anybody cares about boxing. And uh, my my dad and my brother are going to have a little bit of a, a party to go to watch it. They're gonna. I think my dad, my dad wants to make crawfish, but I'm like, Eh, I kind of want fajitas. So we'll see. We're going to eat something tomorrow. So we shall see what happens. But let's begin with prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. We offer up these prayers for our friends, family, and benefactors, and all those that we promise to pray for. We pray for Jonah Burrier on his birthday today. We pray for everyone getting married in this time, especially my cousins, uh, my cousin Haley and her soon-to-be husband Jared, and my friends Sean and Tiffany Pham. On their marriage from last week, we offer up all these prayers and whatever it is that you have going on in your life, we offer it to the Holy Ghost as it is the month of April um, dedicated to the Holy Ghost. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of thy faithful and enkindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy spirit and they shall be created and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Oremus, O God, who taught the hearts of the faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit, grant that by the gift of the same spirit, we may be always truly wise and ever rejoice in his consolation through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. And now your headline news with Tito Edwards. Good morning. You are listening to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. Today is Friday, April 21st, and these are your headlines. Catholic News, news Agency reports Spokane Bishop Thomas A. Daly has assured his diocese that priests would opt for a jail sentence before they would break the seal of confession. 
Bishop Daly said any legislation that would try to force priests to violate the seal of confession would pit civil law against canon law. Canon 983 of the Code of Canon Law states that the seal of confession is inviolable. Quote, it is absolutely wrong for a confessor in any way to betray the penitent for any reason whatsoever, whether by word or in any other fashion, end quote. The canon declares all this is occurring in the state of Washington. Catholic News Agency reports a five-year-old boy was reportedly beheaded when Islamists attacked a village in Nigeria, leaving dozens of people dead. The attack on March 11 occurred four days after 88 people were killed in a similar assault in the Benua state of Nigeria. Catholic News Agency reports that the Vatican blames a failure in communication for an Anglican service in the Pope's church in Rome. About 50 Anglican clergymen who are not in communion with the Catholic Church took part in religious services at the highest-ranking papal basilica in Rome on Tuesday, April 18th. The Vatican later released a statement of regret, attributing the incident to a failure in communication. And finally, the Catholic News Agency reports the Mississippi Governor Tate Reeves this week signed into law several pieces of pro-life and pro-family legislation. Those were your headlines this morning. May God bless you all. The Gospel of the Day comes from John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. After this, Jesus retired across the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias, and there was a great multitude following him. They had seen the miracles he performed over the sick. So Jesus went up on the hillside and there sat down with his disciples. It was nearly the time of the Jews' great feast, the Paschal feast. And now lifting up his eyes and seeing what the great multitude had gathered round. Jesus said to Philip, Whence are we to buy bread for these folk to eat? In saying this, he was putting them to the test. He himself knew well enough what he meant to do. Philip answered him, Two hundred silver pieces would not buy enough bread for them, even to give each a little. One of his disciples, it was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fishes. But what is it among so many? Then Jesus said, Make the men sit down. There is no lack of grass where they were, so the men sat down, about five thousand in number. And Jesus took the loaves and gave thanks, distributed them to the company, and share of the fishes too, as much as they had mine for. Then when they had all had enough, he told his disciples, Gather up the broken pieces that are left over, so that nothing may be wasted. And when they gathered them up, they filled twelve baskets with the broken pieces left over by those who had eaten. When they saw the miracle Jesus had done, these men began to say, Beyond doubt, this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Knowing then that they mean to come and carry him off so as to make a king of him, Jesus once again withdrew onto the hillside all alone. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Cornelius Alapide had much to say about this passage. He says, after this, not immediately, but almost a year afterwards, by the healing of the paralytic and the dispute of Jesus with the Jews consequent upon it, which John had related in the foregoing chapter, took place in the beginning of the second year of Christ's ministry. But the things which he relates in this sixth chapter took place at the close of the same year. This is plain because Christ healed the paralytic at the Passover in verse 1, 
but he did the things now to be related shortly before the Passover of the year following, as appears from the verse 4. John, therefore, omits all that Christ did in his second year of his ministry, his creation of the twelve apostles, his sermon on the mount, his sending of his apostles forth, as well as many other things. John omits them because they had been fully narrated by the other evangelists. But he here inserts the narrative of the multiplication of the loaves, because though related by the other evangelists, it was the occasion of Christ's discourse concerning the spiritual food and the food of the Eucharist, which John here gives at length, which was wholly passed over by them. Now he said unto Philip, Observe, this was the order of which was to be done. Christ, beholding from the mountain the crowd which followed him, came down to them and received them kindly, taught them and healed their sick even until eventide. The evening being at hand, his disciples asked Christ to dismiss the multitude and refresh himself with food. But Christ bade them first feed the hungry throngs. This, they said, was impossible because 200 denarii worth the bread would not suffice for so many. Now, this is interesting because what is our Lord setting up here? Now, many people will point this out and be like, hey, 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 hey. This was clearly symbolic whenever we come to the next passage about the Eucharist. But you notice if you read it in context, this is given in context of our Lord multiplying loaves and fishes. This was a you can say that I can multiply loaves and fishes, but you can't say that I can uh, make bread into my body. So I can create something out of nothing, but I can't transform one thing into another thing. Is that what you're telling me? Now here, Cornelius Lapide, referring to verse 11, says, When he had given thanks to God the Father, looking up to heaven, he implored the help of God to multiply the loaves. Then he blessed them. He distributed to those who sat down and miraculously multiplied the loaves during the distribution. St. Dominic and St. Francis imitated Christ in this manner. When in the general chapter of the Friars Minor, which are the Franciscans, there was nothing to eat. They, being full of faith, said, Let us go to pray to Almighty God, who satisfied 5,000 men besides women and children in the desert. His power and his mercy are no less now than they were then, and we should despair of his goodness. They continued in prayer until they were assured uh, concerning the divine will. Then at the hour of dinner, St. Francis bade the brethren to sit down at the refectory. This done, they see enter 20 young men of noble appearance, girded and prepared for service. These supplied bread, wine, and every kind of needful refreshment to the company, and number 500. When dinner was ended, they bowed and saluted the brethren, and went out of the refectory two by two to the admiration of the brethren, who praised God for his marvelous care and providence. St. Dominic did the same thing at Rome at St. Sixtus's. So we see here that the miracles that happened in the Old Testament are still happening today. So let's pray. Let's understand that God will provide for us. Let's not be discouraged. Do not despair, but trust in God. Hey, Donnie, what are the four Gospels in the New Testament? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And who baptized Jesus? St. John the Baptist. As parents, we're the primary educators of our Catholic faith to our children. And if you don't know your Catholic faith as well as you should, that's okay. Just tune in daily to the Guadalupe Radio Network by logging online to grnonline.com. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Listen, learn, love, and pass it on. 
Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. The book of Esther does not mention the words God, Lord, sin, Savior, salvation, heaven, or hell. Are you sure it's supposed to be in the Bible? Martin Luther said no. Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, a promise. Jesus said the Holy Spirit would guide the apostles into all truth. Those early church fathers, popes, bishops, synods, and councils were all under the influence of the Holy Spirit as they discerned which writing should or should not be in the Bible, and Esther was included. Secondly, for a writing to be understood as divinely inspired and worthy of canonicity, it was not a necessity to contain any theological explanations. And thirdly, a tough comeback. Oftentimes we deceive ourselves by wanting to trust that very contemporary and subjective term called the inner witness. Our own arrogance can blind us. The feeling of, quote, an inner witness is as dangerous as standing at the edge of a windy, jagged cliff. So on a religious feeling, don't just immediately buy into passionate testimonies, new truths, or prophetic texts. That four-letter word, feel, will get you every time. And welcome back to the Catholic Drive Time Show. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. And it's so good to be on with you today. Praise be to God. You know, if you are not on our email list, let me encourage you to do so. You can go to our email list, but go to grnonline.com forward slash CDT. And every Friday, we send you unique content that you can't get anywhere else. And this week, I'm going to be giving, I'm going to be sending out the entirety, the full study session of the Aquinas Catechism. So if you missed out and didn't get to participate in the Aquinas Catechism series, I'm going to send that out to everyone on our email list. So that way you can also participate. You won't be able to get it live. That was live during the Lenten season, but it it will be uh, a recording of it. So you can leave comments, but you won't be able to interact live. So... Make sure you're on our email list, and you'll get that today at around noon. And if you are on that email list, too, uh, you'll be able to find a link there to join our private Telegram chat. In that private Telegram chat, that's where, if we're going to have future studies, which, hint, hint, we will be having future different studies. We'll see what what we're going to do, though. Still trying to brainstorm about what would be a good thing to go through. But if you want to do that, that's going to be also included and a secret link in our email list. So go to grnonline.com forward slash CDT in order to sign up for that. So thank you very much to everyone who signs up for our email list. We really appreciate it, and I hope you all enjoy uh, this content that we send out to everybody. Now, there are a lot of very concerning stories about what's going on in the Vatican. Every I feel like every other day I look over and I'm like, why are, why are crazy things happening in the Vatican? I don't get it. Why do they keep doing things like this? Now, this is the story. The Vatican allowed the Anglicans to say Mass at a church in Rome. Now, many people may say, okay, well, what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is that they're not Catholic, and they're sharing an, we're sharing an altar with heretics, schismatics, and uh, non-Catholics. Now, this is uh, not the right thing to do. We can't do that. So here's a story from the National Catholic Register. Breaking. Vatican blames failure in communication for Anglican service in Pope's Church in Rome. About 50 Anglican clergymen who are not in communion with the Catholic Church took part in religious services at the highest ranking papal basilica in Rome on Tuesday, April 18th. 
about 50 Anglican clergymen who are not in communion with the Catholic Church took part in religious services. The Vatican later released a statement of regret attributing the incident to a failure in communication. The clergymen who were accompanied by Bishop Jonathan Baker, the Church of England, so a fake bishop, are part of the Anglican Communion, which broke away from the church in 1534 amid King Henry VIII's frustration that he could not receive an annulment for his marriage. The Catholic Church does not consider Anglican holy orders valid and does not recognize Anglican orders as valid, which means they cannot validly celebrate Mass. So they let somebody pretend to say Mass at their altar is basically what you're, what you're hearing. The Anglican service was celebrated by the Arch, uh, at the Archbasilica of St. John Lateran in Rome. St. John Lateran in Rome is the Basilica of Rome. You would think uh, St. Peter's Basilica would be, but it's actually St. John Lateran. That's where the seat of the Bishop of Rome is. The actual seat of the Pope belongs in St. John Lateran. It's there. And they let Anglicans, who are schismatics and heretics, say Mass at the site and at the location of the Roman pontiff, who is the principle and symbol of unity in the church. That's a, it's the very uh, symbolically perverse. In a statement issued on Thursday, Bishop Guillermo de Tora, who, serve, who serves as the vicar of the archpriest of the Lateran Basilica, said that the incident was a result of failure in communication, that he expresses deep regret for what happened. His statement said that a group of about 50 priests accompanied by their bishop, all belonging to the Anglican Communion, celebrated the high altar and, and the cathedral in Rome in contravention of the canonical norms. He explained that, he, that the regrettable episode was caused by a failure of communication. Pope Francis met with Anglican Bishop Baker and the other clergymen on Wednesday morning, but it's unclear how or why they were given authorization to conduct religious service at the Archbasilica. The Anglican clergy took part of the service are Anglo-Catholic. Despite the name, the group is in communion with the Anglican Church and not in communion with Rome and intend to hold more traditional views. Okay, so there you go. Uh, this, for anybody who is curious, uh, a lot of the people who joined the personal ordinary of the Church of St. Peter were Anglo-Catholics. Uh, Taylor Marshall, if you know who Taylor Marshall is, he was an Anglo-Catholic priest before he became Catholic. The Anglo-Catholics, I could imagine, they said it was a failure to communicate. I can imagine a situation where they said, oh, we're Anglo-Catholics. And the bishop said, oh, you're, and then just assumed that meant you're part of the ordinariate. I could imagine that being a situation. However, it tends to be pretty, it, used to, it tends to be pretty extensive whenever a, a priest travels to say mass somewhere. The permissions that are needed to say mass in someone else's diocese publicly is pretty extensive. Though, I guess the fact that he traveled with their bishop, the paper, they were like, oh, well, the bishop's right here. Let me just talk to him. And he's like, oh, yeah, we're Anglo-Catholics. And they're like, oh, okay, yeah, sure, y'all can say Mass. So uh, that's the best and most charitable reading of the situation. They may have gotten excited in the coronation of King Charles and said, oh, let's give them, allow them to say Mass. So I I can see that 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 on the best part scenario. You think that would be the best if they did it because of... The, the coronation of King Charles? Oh, no, no, not because, but in addition to, oh, I'm Anglo-Catholic, so getting confused with the ordinariate of Our Lady of Walsingham out, out from the UK. Yeah, I think if uh, if they ended up allowing, um, yeah, so now the, the negative interpretation would be 
it was some kind of ecumenical mumbo jumbo that they regret because of the backlash they got. And then they come out and like, oh, this was a failure to communicate. So to try to read it that way, there's I guess there's two ways to read it. The that a positive way and then the negative way would be yeah, they just want to have this kind of communion. They want to have this ecumenical dialogue and they see no problem with having this happen. Now, many people are freaking out about this and saying, Why are you guys freaking out? Um they have uh they allow Pachamamas in uh, Catholic churches, they allow Mayan masses they allow all sorts of weird things. So what's the big deal there? And uh, to that I say, touche. Touche. That's true. This is par for the course for what's coming out of the Vatican during this, this time of, of post-Benedict Sixteenth. We, we need to remember this. Like you said, this is the main church of, this, of the See of Rome. This was gifted to the church from Emperor Augustine himself. So this is a this is not your average American chapel with felt banners and liturgical dancers dumping up and down. Yeah, it probably and, has that too. <laughs> so yeah, it, it's a very beautiful church. It is ancient. So even atheists who love history visit uh, the Lateran Council and are just in awe of the grandeur of it all. So yeah, it's a sacrilege to say the least, even if it was a mistake. Yeah. So there you go. I I think it's a uh, it's important. For people to to recognize that this is a uh, this is not something that we would want. I know many 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 uh, dioceses have allowed uh, non-Catholics, uh, whether it be Methodists, Episcopalians, or Anglicans, to use their cathedrals for ordinations, and that is uh, bad. That is bad. You just hit, you just reminded me of a sore spot they, here in the in the Sea of Galveston, Houston. They allowed fake women priests to celebrate their so-called service and in the uh, cathedral of co-cathedral of the Sacred Heart here in Houston. So, yeah, it's common. Just because it's common doesn't mean it's right. All right. So moving on to uh, this story, Texas Senate. Uh, unanimously passes school safety bill. And here, uh, reported by the Epic Times, the Texas Senate unanimously passed a school safety bill that would require increased security measure across the state. Texans have been reminded too, far too often that evil exists and that we live in a broken world. Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick said in press release on Wednesday following the bill's passing, Senate Bill 11 is a top priority of mine and all uh, and of all the 31 senators because it represents a blueprint for our schools to use a harden their facilities they're moving forward. This is the most robust school-based response framework that Texas has ever designed and is the product of a year's worth of bipartisan research and planning. You know, I, I never like when I hear the word bipartisan. Every time I hear bipartisan, I think, oh, this is really, really bad. Like if just the Democrats want it, then it's bad. If just the Republicans want it, then it's probably bad. And if both of them want it, oh, then it's definitely the worst thing that we could possibly come up with. But hopefully this is this is better. Uh, the legislation should would provide funding for increased security measures and create a new office from the Texas Education Agency to oversee district compliance with school safety and security regulation. See, anytime there's created a new office, I'm automatically just like against it. Uh, stop making new offices. Uh, continuing. The bill would increase school security funding from $600 million to $1.5 billion in the state's 
biennial budget, Patrick told KTVT-TV. Senate Bill 11 passed nearly 11 months ago after the Robb Elementary School shooting, leaving 19 students and two teachers dead in Uvalde, Texas. School security is top priority, and Republican State Senate uh, Senator Robert Nichols uh, authored the bipartisan bill, which is co-sponsored by nine others. Currently funding for school safety equipment and programs based on a rate of $972 per student across all schools. He said that they would, they, the adding that some of the smallest districts received only $1,000 annually, forcing schools to use classroom funds to improve safety. Now, following the Evaldi tragedy, Patrick commissioned a special committee to evaluate the school safety across the state. Nichols and the committee offered their recommendations about the proposed legislation. The new office would work with the Texas School Safety Center in San Marcos to develop the school standards for safety defense. The schools would also be subject to intruder detection audit each year by plainclothes school safety personnel who would go on to campus to check how easy or difficult it is to access various areas of the school. The auditors would not act in suspicious or threatening ways. If a district fails to meet these standards, they could be assigned a conservator to oversee school safety. All school-based law enforcement officers would be required to complete the T- the Texas SSC's Advanced Law Enforcement Rapid Response Training Program. The Alert Center is the gold standard for the active shooter response training, and it's imperative that our school-based law enforcement receives that training. The legislation strengthens the state's truancy laws and requires parents to be notified of any violence occurring on campus. So, I'm glad that we're doing something. Um... It honestly just sounds like they're just throwing money around. I didn't hear about anything specific. It sounds to me that they're saying, okay, we're setting money aside to for safety, and then we'll figure out what exactly that money is going to go to specifically later on. So, mm, yay? Question mark? So maybe contact our your senators, contact your representatives, and say, hey, I know you have this money. Can we use it to uh, hire security guards? Can we use it to do X, Y, or Z? Let's give them some ideas. Now, we'll be right back. And when we come back, I have some good news for you. It's some exciting. We'll be right back with more after this. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Your only daughter met a fine young man who was a committed Mormon. She now wants to join his church. What's your answer? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, a reason for no. Doctrinal positions such as the deity of Jesus and the Trinity. Your reason for yes. You deem seemingly moral character as superseding biblical truth. Secondly, orthodoxy. Your answer is probably no. But how and why? Your resistance to Mormon doctrine does not just come straight down from the Bible. It comes from the first five centuries of brilliant theologians, bishops, and popes. These Catholics wrote, debated, and fought for truth. Example, in 250 A.D., 311, and 417, three different popes excommunicated three different heretics, Sibelius, Arius, and Pelagius. They denied the Trinity, the eternal deity of Jesus, or taught that human effort warranted salvation. Would your pastor excommunicate a heretic? Well, unfortunately, your pastor can only remove someone from his local congregation. But that's okay. That guy will probably end up being welcomed in a church down the street. Catholic Radio gives us something all day, every day, to fill our lives with our faith. We are completely inundated by the world constantly. Every time you go out shopping, the music that's playing, the the visuals that you see, TV, everything, we need Catholicism 
filling our minds. The Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Welcome back to the Catholic Drive Time Show. Today is Friday, April 21st, the year of our Lord, 2023. And these are your headlines for this morning. Catholic News Agency reports the Archdiocese of Boston is responding to the Satanic Temple SatanCon event in Boston with scheduled Eucharistic adoration, Catholic devotions, and intense prayer. The Satanic Temple, which, according to, to its website, denies the existence of God and and Satan is a political activist group known for protesting religious symbolism in public spaces and mocking Christianity by offering unbaptism and hosting quote-unquote black masses. Crux reports in light of increased persecution of the Catholic Church by Nicaraguan President Daniel Ortega, the head of the U.S. Bishops Conference Committee on International Justice is again calling for the U.S. government and international community to address the situation. Reports indicate that Ortega banned outdoor Holy Week celebrations and processions, including popular Good Friday and Easter processions, due to alleged security concerns. Two women, religious and a priest, have also recently been expelled from the country prior to that. CatholicCulture.org reports Archbishop Luc Ravel of Strasbourg has resigned under heavy pressure from the Vatican. The 65-year-old archbishop had been heavily criticized for his autocratic management style, which had been the subject of a Vatican investigation. He had reportedly balked at earlier requests for his resignation. The archbishop accused false allegations of alleged sex abuse as his downfall. And finally, Breitbart News reports Daily Wire hosts Matt Walsh's Twitter account was hacked this week, and the hackers reportedly gained access to everything, including Walsh's email accounts. The hacker sent out several anti-Semitic and racist tweets from his account on Wednesday. Daily Wire co-CEO Jeremy Boring announced that hacker gained access to everything, including 20 years of Matt's emails. I'm Tito Edwards, and these are today's headlines through a Catholic lens. Thank you, Tito, for keeping us up to date. You know, there is some good news that I wanted to share with you. I was pretty excited to see this. And I uh, i got to admit, I have to admit, I, uh, I may have uh, jumped up, clicked my heels. It was uh, some good news. Uh, this news kit could get better. There are some ways in which this could be even better news. But here's the headline. The headline is, BuzzFeed News Announces Shutdown. Well, there you go, folks. There you go. Uh, BuzzFeed News Announces Shutdown. If you're not familiar with BuzzFeed, they're a media website known for its quizzes, and now it's AI-written articles. They announced that it would be beginning the process of closing down its news division after years of business turmoil. The co-founder and chief CEO, uh, which I guess is a redundant chief CEO because chief... CEO stands for Chief Executive Officer, so I just said Chief Chief Executive Officer, uh, Sanjit. Uh, the John Peretti told the company staff that 15% of its business, continent, tech, content, continent? I'm trying to read this. And business, I think it means it's there, that's a typo. I think they mean content. Tech and administrative workforce will be terminated at the initial step towards complete closure in the memo titled Difficult News. You get it? Difficult news because they are uh, shutting down their news division. Uh, Peretti said BuzzFeed president Marcel Martin will take on, res- take on responsibility for all revenue functions effective 
immediately. The change the changes the business the organization is making today are focused on reducing layers in the organization, increasing speed and effectiveness of pitches, streamlining our product mix, doubling down on creators, and bringing to and beginning to bring AI enhancements to every aspect of our sales process. You know, that's what I didn't understand when I read this article. I was like, wait a second. How are they losing money? Didn't they just like lay off a ton of people because they uh, are getting AI to write a lot of their articles, which costs nothing? And I was like, hmm. They're losing more money, which is good. Yeah, I'm glad they're losing money. While layoffs are occurring across nearly every division, we determined that the company can no longer continue to fund BuzzFeed News as a standalone organization. As a result, we will engage with the News Guild about our cost reduction plans and what that will mean for our affected union members. Some writers and editors for BuzzFeed News may be offered jobs at BuzzFeed.com and Huffington Post, which were already described as profitable, with a loyal direct front page audience and less dependent on social platforms. Peretti told his employees, I want to explain a little more about why we've come to these deeply painful decisions. We faced more challenges than I can count in the past few years. A pandemic, which I'm pretty sure the pandemic helped BuzzFeed's uh, capital because a lot of people were home and they were just surfing the web for, for a year. I'm pretty sure they went. I remember reading about how it got better for them during the pandemic. But anyway, a fading SPAC market that yielded less capital, a tech recession, a tough economy, a declining stock market, an accelerating digital advertising market, and ongoing ongoing audience and platform shifts. Dealing with all these obstacles at once is part of why we've needed to make the difficult decision to eliminate more jobs and reduce spending. Now, I, I think this is um, very interesting because one of the things that they point out here, which the only thing that sounds honest to me, because everything else, this is not something unique that anyone that they are facing. They talked about pandemics, talking about having there's a tech recession, but they're not a tech company. They report on tech. And so that would be good for them, right? A tough economy that's tough for everybody. A declining stock market that's declining for everybody. But here's a thing that was... That is uh, sounds more honest. The ongoing audience and platform shifts. Now, that's interesting to me. Now, what do they mean by the ongoing platform shifts? Could this mean, and this is the way I interpreted it, is that more people are getting away from the BuzzFeed platform. At the very least, they're going away from BuzzFeed News and not trusting BuzzFeed as a, as a news source, which they shouldn't. That's very interesting to me. That's very interesting to me, and I'm, that's very hopeful. I feel like that's uh, some good news that people, that the reason why they're shutting down is not because somebody scammed them or they, someone uh, stole their money and ran off with it like a lot of these companies, but instead it's because nobody wants their product. And that is good because BuzzFeed is a cesspool for degeneracy, and it's also rots the minds of children with all these incredibly ignoramus uh, quizzes that try to tell people who and what they are, which I guess for some people are just uh, for fun, but for a lot of other people, uh, they take these things like as if they're like horoscopes, but they don't realize that it's just some dude sitting in a room writing these quizzes. So this is good news. I'm glad to see it. I hope that they shut down completely, and I hope that they will be... Um, on the way out completely because these uh, their videos are just are just trash. 
their try guy videos. They have these these grown men doing the dumbest of things. So I think there was one video where they were they tried on women's clothing. It's like why is the why are these things that people want to see? And I ultimately I think it's not it's not. So uh, I think that's very good. So praise be to God. I'm glad to hear that that's happened. Now this story. So we went from good news to to bad news. ATF director says he is not a firearms expert when asked to define assault weapon. Now, is it the ATF's main job surrounds firearms? Isn't that like 90% of their work? I mean, I understand they're supposed to be also involved in alcohol and drugs and things like that, but isn't the most mostly what they do is go in and take people's guns away? That's that sounds very uh, about the right right thing to say from this uh, current administration, considering they nominated a judge on Supreme Court who doesn't know what a woman is. Now, what's interesting to me is some people were talking about the ATF on Twitter yesterday, and you know, you everybody, nobody likes the ATF. People were saying, "Oh yeah, these are the people who kill your dog um, and will kill your children and take your guns." And it was interesting to me because everybody hates the ATF. Everybody. I was seeing people with transgender flags in their profile picture and LGBT pronouns in their, in their, in their description in their profile. And they, too, it was conservatives and leftists that were ganging up on the ATF. So the conservatives were mad about the ATF overall. They're like, stop trying to take our guns. You, y'all are bad people because y'all are trying to disarm the populace, plus y'all kill dogs and kill children. And the left was like, these guys are dog killers. These are the worst human beings on the planet because uh, leftists love animals more than they love human typically. And I was like, oh, oh my goodness. This is something that we can unite upon. The left and the right both hate the ATF. And I was thinking, if everybody hates the ATF, why on earth do they still exist? If we are government for the people, by the people, then if the people don't want the ATF, shouldn't the ATF go away? Well, that just shows you and shows me that this whole idea that the government is by the people is a fiction. It's not real. Clearly, this is not a real thing. And I, there's nothing more obvious about this fact than the fact that both the left and the right despise the ATF, and yet they still are around, and they're still doing their work. And the, the vast, vast ignorance surrounding the ATF is just absurd to me. Like, how on earth can you be involved in an organization that takes people's guns away and not be able to identify an assault weapon and claim that you're not a firearms expert. A little bit more on this story coming up in just one moment. 
Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. What's the primary reason you chose your present church? Doctrinal positions, your family's church, the pastor, church friendliness, dynamic youth ministry? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, statistics. A survey showed that 87% of those who attend a non-Catholic church choose their church because of the senior pastor's sermons. Secondly, the reason for Catholics, this comes from Canon Law 518, which says, as a general rule, a parish is to be one which includes all the Christian faithful of a certain territory. And thirdly, my response, the average span of a mature Christian staying at a non-denominational church is between 18 and 24 months. Why such a short time? You know the reason. They came because we love the pastor and his sermons. He's so relatable and so current. Whoops, now they're tired of relatable and current, so just go down the street. They found some new relatable and current. Oh, the alluring draw of charisma. Fortunately, at a Catholic church, the sermon is not the central moment. Do you know what is the central moment? Body and blood. Hey, Donnie, who were the first two people God created? Adam and Eve. There you go. And what did we inherit from them? Original sin. As parents, we're the primary educators of our Catholic faith to our children. And if you don't know your Catholic faith as well as you should, that's okay. Just tune in daily to the Guadalupe Radio Network by logging online to grnonline.com. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Listen, learn, love, and pass it on. And welcome back to the Catholic Drive Time Show. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. Praise be to God. It's good to be here today. I hope that you're having a blessed Easter. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. It's a good day. You know, I was reading the story about the, uh, the director of the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. And he was asked about assault weapons. And it's kind of interesting because assault weapons are not a real category of thing. I mean, every firearm can be used to assault people, right? So every firearm is an assault rifle, I suppose, or could be defined as an assault rifle. So there's a lot of different types of guns, and this is why we talk about often about even if you if you hate guns and you're like, no, I don't want guns should be banned. Well, at the very least, go take a gun safety course. So then you can actually learn about what a gun is, what are the different parts of a gun, and you can learn how the language surrounding it. Uh, there was a really great video that Steven Crowder did a while ago where he invited uh, liberals on college campuses. They said, uh, if you want, I will take you to a gun range and I will pay to uh, pay for you to rent a gun, to learn, go through the safety course to go through a background check as if you were to buy one and see how everything goes. And people took them on the offer and they're like, oh, wow, I didn't realize how much they're as involved in this. And so if you've never experienced any of this, then I recommend that you learn about guns, especially if you're trying to opine on guns. It's good to know something about what you're talking about. So if that's my recommendation to you. Don't be like the director of the alcohol, tobacco, and firearms and not know anything about alcohol, tobacco, and firearms. I'd be curious. I'd sit him down and be like, uh, tell me about alcohol. and Tell me about tobacco. Tell me about firearms. And just find out what he knows about any of the subjects. Like, Does he know anything about cigarettes, cigars? Because that's, that's another, another topic where people are like, oh, yes, uh, cigarettes, cigars, equally bad. Um, not true. So things like that. Very interesting, very sad to see those are the people who are uh, in charge of our government agencies. 
And the more sad thing is that there's little we can do about it. This is why we should really contact our senators, our representatives, things like that, because it actually does have an effect. Representatives and and those uh, people involved in those things, they don't like it when people call them and complain. So do it. They uh, don't like it. So that's why we should do it. Now, this story is, it sounds concerning, but I kind of have a different take about this. It's still bad, but it's not as concerning as we think. Instead, it's concerning for a completely different reason. The Daily Wire reports $20 million worth of gold, high-value goods stolen in heist at at Canada's airport, says authorities. Canadian authorities are searching for an unidentified person who stole more than $20 million worth of gold earlier this week and what some have labeled as one of the biggest robberies in Canadian history. The outlet reported that the airport handles 45% of Canada's air cargo traffic from 175 countries worldwide. Now, the rest of the story doesn't really matter too much. It talks about the details of how how do they think this happened and all these other things. And it's really not that important. Because the reality is we're not on a gold standard anymore. Our money is not associated with gold. So losing the gold doesn't actually change the value of the money in Canada. I'm like, it should. I was looking it up earlier, and I should have left it up, but I, I try to go off my memory. I believe it was about, it was under like 3% of the wealth of Canada is backed by gold. And that made me think, okay, well, man, what is it in America? But m- the majority of Canada's money is backed by what? If you want to guess, it's backed by what? It's Maple backed, syrup. It's backed by the U.S. dollar. And so they have fiat money backed by fiat money. That is absurd. It's nonsensical. And it's something that we should uh, be very aware of because if our economy collapses, which many people are predicting that it will, this will have profound effects on other countries. Because if Canada is backed by us, how many countries are backed by the U.S. dollar? It'll be a mass collapse across the world. This is why we have to go back to a gold standard, or at least some kind of objective standard and not just printing money. So the fact that this money was stolen, yeah, of course, is bad. Stealing is bad. Stealing is always bad. Wow, that's a lot of money. $20 million worth of gold, that's a lot of money. Um, However, the sad thing is that this affects almost nothing in the country. You can steal $20 million worth of gold and almost nothing will happen because their money has nothing to do with gold. This is very, very concerning and makes me uh, relook at, uh, what is it, Rand Paul or his, uh, the father? What's, what's the father's name? I forget his name. Is it Rand, Rand Paul? Rand Paul is the, the son? Is the son. What's his father's name? That's a good question. I forget. Me too. But uh, he is the uh, he would talk. He was talking about the um, monetary system. Like a Ryan Paul. There you go, Ryan Paul. Uh, Ryan Paul was talking about this a long time ago. Uh, Ron Paul. Sorry, Ron Paul. There you go. Eventually, I was going to get it. Uh, Ron Paul is the father, and he was talking about this years ago. That's all he would talk about. 
And people were like, oh, this guy's crazy. But now what do we see? We see that he's 100% correct about this issue. Now, he was a little bit more libertarian about everything in general, but in terms of the monetary issue, he's almost 100% on point. So this is a very, very concerning story because it just really illustrated how much, how broken our economic system is. Now, the guy who stole the $20 million, he's going to be set for life whenever it comes down to um, the collapse of the economy because he's actually going to have the gold. Maybe he can restart a gold standard in like a, his own little small country and with that kind of money. And uh, yeah, twenty million. You could do like a tiny, a tiny country the way countries used to be. Now, obviously, if you have an empire like America, twenty million dollars is nothing. But if you have like a, a small country of the size of like a medium-sized city, you could probably, you could probably do that. So, very, very concerning. The all these things are um, very interesting, and we should definitely keep our eye on the economic system. Now. Here's another story by the uh, National Catholic Distorter, I mean, sorry, reporter, um, who always likes to put out really bad takes. Now, I was going through the National Catholic Reporter, and uh, I was looking, I made the mistake of going to their their open letters that they publish. And one of them was endorsing women marriage, and I was like, oh, yikes. But here's a story by the famous Father Thomas Reese. Now, the father, Thomas Reese, is well known to be a dissident theologian. In fact, Pope Benedict XVI himself had him banned from America Magazine. That's how not good he is. And he comes out with this article titled, Pope Benedict Closed Limbo and Nobody Complained. Now, I'm not going to read this whole article to you. If you uh, want to read it, you can go check it out in National Catholic Reporter, which is, has to be distinguished from the National Catholic Register. But the reason why I wanted to bring it up is because I was listening to some other people talk about this issue, and they were saying, oh, well, limbo was never taught. That To say that Benedict reversed it is not true because the church never taught limbo. The church... It was just a theological opinion. This is not true. This is not true. Limbo, first of all, there's two, there's two words that we, two things we refer to when we say limbo. Uh, one is, uh, well, neither of them are dogmatic in the sense that it's not a declared dogma of the church. But just because something is a declared dogma of the church doesn't mean that it has no weight whatsoever in terms of uh, church teaching. Now, the limbo of the fathers, which is where the the fathers of the church in the Old Testament, uh, Abraham, King David, um, probably not Solomon, Adam and Eve, the prophets, where they went in in awaiting the coming of our Lord. St. Joseph and also John the Baptist would have been there waiting for our Lord to come to free them not to free them. Now, here in this article... Father Thomas Reese says, quote, and make no mistake about it. Benedict killed Limbo just as much as the Second Vatican Council killed the Latin Mass. Hypothesis or not, no one is going to teach it. Limbo will become a theological anachronism 
that historians of theology note, but everyone else ignores. It is not mentioned, for example, in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Now, I heard some commentators who were trying to defend the church's position. They mention, oh, well, just repeat what the Catechism says. And I'm like, hmm. I don't think they read the article that Father Thomas Reese put out because he clearly points out that the limbo is not mentioned in the Catechism, at least not the limbo that he's referring to. Now, so that's the limbo of the unbaptized, and I think most Catholics believe in that. They call it uh, Abraham's bosom. But then there's a second limbo. The second limbo is that where the unbaptized children go, that it would be a place that is uh, not uh, devoid of any suffering and has all natural happiness, but does not have the beatific vision. Now, this was an opinion of the church, but it's not a hypothesis. It was the common teaching of the church until approximately 60, 70 years ago. Probably about 100 years ago is whenever there started being rumbles against it. But this was the common teaching of the church. It was taught by St. Augustine. It was taught by St. Thomas Aquinas. It was taught by St. Robert Bellarmine. It was taught by all the doctors of the church were, were teaching this. All the scholastics, all the theologians, and the theologians refer to not the modern theologians, like people who are, have a degree in theology. Theologians is a category of teachers who lived in the scholastic era. And every single one of them, every single one of them believed in limbo. I have a question for you, Adrian. Go ahead. The, is that the first and second limbos that you described, is it anything like what Jesus, where Jesus went to after? Oh, I'll ask after the break. All right, when we come back, we'll uh, finish up with uh, talking about limbo. But also, I want to read to you a poem about a donkey written by G.K. Chesterton. A very, very beautiful poem. I, if you don't know who Anthony Esalon is, he's great, and he always posts these poems, and I'm like, man... I'm going to get a poetry education just by following this guy. But that's going to do it for the first hour of Catholic Drive Time. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about limbo. But then we're going to get into a poem about the donkey. All this and more in just one moment. I worked in pro baseball for a long time, and we play on Sundays. And it was an easy excuse. I took the easy out and just didn't go to Mass. Got caught up on that whole selfishness, that whole... You know, um, I can do it all. The times when I was struggling were the times I needed God the most. And now that uh, I've come back and accepted God, my world has completely changed. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for any reason, visit catholicscomehome.org today. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Haven't you honestly wondered, why do all the different denominations break away from each other? Timeline, 1500s, Luther breaks from the Catholic Church. 16th century, John Knox is influenced by Calvin, breaks from Luther, thus the Presbyterians. 17th century, John Smith then breaks away and starts the Baptist. 18th century, Wesley breaks and starts the Methodist. Even crazier are all the scores of non-denominational individuals who break from each other, generally due to cosmic ego and, quote, a new revelation. 
revelation. Well, here's the three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, the Bible. Judges 21 says, quote, In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which is right in his own eyes. Secondly, physics. Once the dam breaks, water goes where it will. Luther broke Canon Law 331, which says about the Pope, By virtue of his office, he possesses supreme, full, immediate, and universal ordinary power in the church. And thirdly, my take. Gifted theologians can be just like my fourth grade friend who said, I'm taking my bat and ball and going home. Hey, Donnie, what are the two most important things we receive at Mass? Daddy Christmas scripture. That's right. All right, one more. Who loves you the most? Jesus. That's right. Mary. That's right. (laughs) They love us too. If you don't educate your children in the faith, who will? Educate yourself and your family by listening daily to the Guadalupe Radio Network. And make sure to get the GRN app by logging online to grnonline.com. Boldly proclaiming the truths of our Catholic faith. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Hi, my name is Olivia, and you're listening to KSHJ, 1430 AM, Catholic Radio throughout Metro Houston, on the Guadalupe Radio Network. And welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. So good to be on with you today. Happy Friday to you. I hope you're having a blessed Friday. You know, we were talking in the last segment about limbo. And Tito had a question before we uh, went to break. And so I want to cover that. So to just catch you up, if you're just now joining us, is there's an article out by Father Thomas Reese. Father Thomas Reese is a opinion writer, I will say, who was condemned by Benedict XVI. He was actually kicked out of America Magazine for his dissident opinions. And National Catholic Reporter decided to allow him to pen a piece and publish it. And in this, he says that Benedict has gotten rid of the position on limbo, the church's position on limbo. And it's not so much concerning to me that that he doesn't believe in limbo. I mean, it's a very common opinion. The more concerning thing is that the response by people trying to defend the church, that they did so by saying that he's wrong. The church never held definitively to the position of limbo, which is just false. The church did. The position on limbo was the normative position by every single theologian, church father, every council, Every catechism, you, if you were taught the Baltimore Catechism as a child, that would have been in there. And it was not until about 60 years ago when it came otherwise. And Pope Benedict, uh, what he said about it under the Theological Commission, he, was, he said that we basically, that we can hope that they're saved. And John Paul II came out and said, we entrust the unbaptized infants to the mercy of God, which I say, okay, well, the mercy of God is the fact that limbo is not suffering. Limbo is all natural happiness, but no beatific vision. Why would that be the case? Because our Lord said that if you're not baptized, you don't go to heaven. And so, I mean, I just trust what our Lord says. I think that's right. Uh, But Tito, you had a question after I caught everybody up. Yes, the question I had was, Limbo 1 was where the uh, uh, fathers 
were, meaning prior to uh, the death, to the crucifixion of Jesus. And limbo two is where babies who died from miscarriage or anyone who uh, did not receive baptism. And so when Jesus died and went to uh, the edge of hell, Gehenna, uh, I believe that is similar to, or it is where our, the forefathers were before uh, the crucifixion, the limbo number one, as you mentioned. Yes. Yeah, so the probably the best way to make it clear would be calling them uh, limbo of the fathers and limbo of the infants. And those are the two different limbos. I like that. Um, the word limbo literally means limbus, which refers to like uh, the fringe or the edge. So if you think about like if you're if you have a a piece of clothing and you catch a a spare thread and you start pulling on it and it comes out and that's like the the fringe of the of the of the item that is what limbo means so it's technically part of hell and so whenever we say in the creed Christ descended into hell some of the heretics will say that Christ descended into the hell of the damned where the where the devil is and where the damned are but the orthodox position is that Christ descended into hell, meaning the limbo of the fathers. And he came and he brought out of the limbo of the fathers, the fathers into heaven. And that would be the limbo of the fathers, or also known as the bosom of Abraham. And that's the more commonly known title nowadays. But it's the same thing. So Christ descended into hell, and he only descended into hell of the damned by his effect. And so just as... If you, for instance, were a, uh, you did something in your state where you're at, and it had an effect somewhere else in another state, then you might rightly say, oh, so-and-so was in that state, or he had an effect in that place. In the same way, you could say Christ affected the hell of the damned, and so one could say he was there, but not actually, not uh, physically. He never descended into the hell of the damned. Now, the limbo of the infants is different. The limbo of the infants is a place where unbaptized go that never committed actual sin. Because there's two types of sin. There is original sin and there's actual sin. Original sin is contracted by all humans by virtue of our first parents, Adam and Eve. It is a natural state of disunion with God. And then by baptism, we are brought back into union with God. Actual sin is sin that we actually commit, things that we do. So uh, directing the will toward an evil action and then carrying out that action. Doing that is an actual sin, and we are guilty of that. In order to go to heaven, we have to be free from all sin. We have to have sanctifying grace in our soul. In order to go to hell, you have to commit a mortal sin. You have to die in a state of mortal sin outside of sanctifying grace. So what happens to somebody who commits no mortal sins in their entire life, has never committed an actual sin, but they also do not have sanctifying grace in their soul? Well, the church has taught from the beginning that there is limbo, and that is the place where someone goes if they are not baptized, and yet they have not committed actual sin. So we say limbo of the infants because limbo of the infants the, the infants would be the most common people who would be there. And now, obviously, if you have somebody who is uh, like severely autistic, now, most people who are autistic have uh, some functioning of, uh, they can, there's high functioning aut autism, and 
But if there is somebody who has like severe autism or severe Down syndrome, because uh, same thing, I met a lot of people who have Down syndrome who uh, are perfectly able to interact in the world. Um, but let's just say you have very, very severe autism, very, very severe Down syndrome where it, they're essentially a child, essentially under the age of reason uh, in the way they act, even though they're adults. Well, theoretically, if the person died unbaptized, they would go to limbo because if they can't be guilty of their actions, then they can't commit mortal sin, at least theoretically. And so that's the uh, the idea there. So, But infants would be the most obvious. That's, that's fascinating, your, your explanation. So we can also say maybe those that have not been baptized but led lives similar to, to a Christian or Christ-like. Uh, so limbo may be inhabited much more, with more people than we imagine because it's not just for infants who have passed away in, in, prior to receiving baptism. Well, it wouldn't be, it would not be adults who would, uh, who have the use of reason. Um, so St. Okay. Thomas talks about if someone living according to the dictates of their conscience and did not commit a willful mortal sin their entire life, then that our Lord would have a, would send them an angel from heaven to, to tell them about the true faith. They had, they legitimately had no uh, access to the true faith or more commonly that they would send a missionary. Uh, but this is very rare. This is very rare. And there's examples that are given, like, for instance, St. Columba Marmion. St. Columbia Marmion was uh, preaching to the Gauls or to the, to the Celts. And when he was uh, there one day, when the Druids, um, they, which were, they were pagans, they worshipped the Druid gods. And one day he was praying and he was uh, asleep. He was very sick. He was very sickly at the time. And one day an angel of the Lord appeared to him and told him that there is a man who's about to die who needs to be baptized. And so he gets up and he runs over to this man who was a Druid. And he tells him, he comes to him and tells him uh, that an angel brought him. He says, I have lived according to the dictates of my conscience my entire life. I have never once committed an action against my conscience. And so St. Columbian Marmion tells him the gospel and baptizes him. And immediately after baptism, he dies. Beautiful. Yeah, it's very beautiful. It's very beautiful. And that's uh, the way St. Thomas taught it. He said, yes, if you, if someone legitimately is ignorant of the truth, is invincibly ignorant, you're not saved by invincible ignorance. You're saved by baptism. You're saved by the true faith. And so you're not saved by invincible ignorance, but if you are invincibly ignorant and you live according to the dictates of your conscience, then God will provide you with the grace necessary to be saved. And that's uh, an important thing to know. Now, the topic is, uh, is fraught with a lot of uh, emotion. And the thing to know is that the limbo of the infants is not suffering. It's not like you're, you're these, uh, these children are in pain. The, in fact, it's the exact opposite. The fathers in St. Thomas uh, talks about how the limbo of the infants is actually a place of perfect natural happiness. They don't have the beatific vision, but they do have perfect natural happiness. It would be like uh, Eden. It would be like the Garden of Eden before the fall. And in fact, many of the uh, saints and the doctors uh, have talked about this and said that they believe that 
they their guardian angels will actually stay with them in limbo. And their guardian angel will be there to enlighten them, to provide them with knowledge and provide them with lights. Uh, lights referring to um, kind of like access to something that is higher than themselves and not like physical lights. Obviously, physical lights uh, would be not that not that necessary. But uh, that so that's something that is uh, that was part of the teaching. So there's no reason to to mourn over the say like this is horrible. This is an injustice. But what it does do, though, what it does do is also categorize the sin of abortion. Because if we believe that every single infant who dies and it goes straight to heaven, well, then, yeah, abortion is bad because someone is being killed. But also, shouldn't we celebrate because these infants are going straight to heaven? And but that's just not the case. And this adds a layer of of wickedness to the sin of abortion. It adds a layer of of how bad and how much we have to fight against abortion because people are being deprived of the beatific vision because, because of abortion. And I think that's a very, very serious thing that we have to keep in mind and something that we have to, I feel like it needs to be talked about more because this is something that is uh, taught by the church forever. It's something that has always been taught. That, that's such a very weighty issue. People don't understand, especially in our age, outside of our circles of intentional and practicing Orthodox Catholics, that when Adam and Eve sinned, they shut out heaven for generations upon generations. Imagine being a faithful Jew adhering to the laws prescribed by the seat of Moses. And when you die, you ended up in, in the bosom of Abraham, or, or as you said, uh, 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 the limbo of our fathers. So that was such a grave and, and bad and weighty sin that Adam did when he ate that apple. Yeah, and here's another thing. Let this be a sign that we have to baptize our kids. ASAP. Do not wait. Do not put off the baptism of your ch children because it's very important. And learn how to do an emergency baptism. So go find out how to do an emergency baptism. It's very simple. All you have to do is get some water, uh, pour it over the head of the child. It has to touch the skin. If your hair is covered, or especially if your hair has like gel in it or something, um, but if, if you're a child, obviously you're not going to put gel in the child's hair. But if the child has hair, you want to part the hair because the, the water has to run over the scalp, has to run over the head, or at least the very least the forehead. You have to pour the water three times while saying the name of the person. So, for instance, let's just say Adrian. Adrian. I baptize you in the name of the Father, pour the water, and the Son, pour the water, and in the Holy Spirit, pour the water, or Holy Ghost. It doesn't actually matter. You can say it in any language. doesn't matter. English, Latin, Spanish, Vietnamese. doesn't matter. But that's all you have to do. It's very, very simple. Uh, I, if I were you, I would find the formula I had to do it and put it in your card, put it in your wallet, put it in your purse, so that if that ever comes up, you can do an emergency baptism because anyone can do an emergency baptism. It doesn't have to be a priest. Anybody can do it. And if you're, I know a number of friends of mine actually who they had their child was born, praise be to God, by miraculously born, they were able to baptize a child and then the child died. Now, what a grace. What a grace. That leads us over to the Fear and Trembling Game Show. So let's 
call in right now, 877-757-9424-877-757-9424. Call now to you could be our contestant on today's Fear and Trembling Game Show. Uh, call now. Wouldn't it be great if everyone read the Catechism of the Catholic Church? Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Is the Bible sufficient to answer all questions about Christian living and church life? Well, the answer is definitively no. There isn't agreement on scores of doctrinal issues, such as the effects of baptism, who can receive communion, once saved, always saved, abortion, or how about eligibility for marriage after divorce? So here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, fruit analysis. Luther, Calvin, and Zwingli, who are the fathers of non-Catholic Christianity, did not rid the unbiblical practices they despised, but instead turned out to be the progenitors of some 50 denominations and scores of divergent beliefs. Secondly, natural reason. Well, if the Bible alone is supposed to clarify all beliefs, the very fact that such division prevails is actually proof that an arbiter of doctrine is desperately needed. And thirdly, the golden twins. Sacred scripture and sacred tradition will always prevail as the foundation of all Christian truth, doctrines, and beliefs. Remember, identical twins come from one egg. Hey, Donnie, when we see Christ on the cross, what do we call that? A crucifix. And who said, preach Christ and Him crucified? St. Paul. As parents, we're the primary educators of our Catholic faith to our children. And if you don't know your Catholic faith as well as you should, that's okay. Just tune in daily to the Guadalupe Radio Network by logging online to grnonline.com. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Listen, learn, love, and pass it on. Welcome to another round of fear and trembling. The Catholic Trivia Game Show that helps you work out your salvation by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot. 877-757-9424. Eight seven 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 five seven nine four two four eight seven 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 five seven nine four two four. That's the number to call to be part of our game show, Fear and Trembling, where we give out prizes and you could win that number to call. We take the first caller. We always take the first caller. Eight seven 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 five seven nine four two four, and we're giving out the prize today. So you're going to want to. Be a caller and hop on that number, 877-757-9424. You're saying, Adrian, what am I calling in for? I don't even know what I'm calling in for. Well, it's very simple. We have a Catholic trivia game show, and here I don't ask you the questions. No, I am going to ask Tito the questions. He's going to give me an answer, and it's going to be your job to tell me whether he's right or whether he's wrong. And we'll have 15 seconds of the clock, and every right answer goes into the coffee cup of Divine Providence to win this week's prize. Tito, what could they win? Thank you, Adrian. The Fear and Trembling prize for this week is the CDT Prize Pack with a book titled Bishop Sheen Today, 
It's written by Fulton Sheen. It is an anthology on the seven last words of Christ, as well as the meditations on the holy hour, both compiled and published by Alan Smith. Thank you. Yes, thank you, Bishop Sheen, today for donating the uh, books and the books by Fulton Sheen, the seven last words from the cross and uh, meditations for holy hour. Uh, those books compiled by Alan Smith uh, with Bishop Sheen today. Thank you very much, Bishop Sheen, today. And that number to call is 877-757-9424. 877-757-9424. If you are a first caller, then we take you. And remember, it's a very simple game, very easy to game. Uh, every single person, even if you don't know anything, you're just guessing. You still get a 50-50 chance of being able to get the answer correct. And I got to say, the odds of you winning the prize are better than the odds of you winning the lottery by a long shot. Plus, it doesn't cost you anything. So that number, and make sure if you don't get on today, you to keep that number on your speed dial. Go to 877-757-9424. Type that in. Save it to speed dial. And you can call in as early as 7 o'clock Central Time and wait on hold because we always take the first caller. If you wanted to be able to get that information down elsewhere, you could go to our website, grnonline.com forward slash CDT to get all the information about our game show. Uh, but good morning to you, Martha calling in. Good morning. Howdy, Martha. Where are you calling from? I'm calling from Houston. Houston. Praise be to God. We love to have our Houston callers. Uh, the great place. I love Houston. It's a... Uh, that's where I grew up, born and raised, one of the few Houstonians. Uh, what about yourself? Are you a native Houstonian? Yeah, no, I was born in like, was here when I was 18. Ah, I see, I see. Many, many such cases, many such cases. Um, I, I feel like I'm the only, I think I am, I'm the only Houstonian in the Houston office at, at the GRN. I may be the only Houstonian at the GRN, but I have to, I have to fact check that. I need to fact check that. But... I love Houston, so praise be to God. I'm glad you're calling in. What parish do you go to, uh, Martha? Uh, St. Augustine. St. Augustine. Woo! St. Augustine, that's where my grandma worked for a long time. My grandma worked there for a long time. My cousin who's getting married this uh, today. My cousin is getting married at 2 p.m. today. She met her husband, or her soon-to-be husband, at St. Augustine School. So very cool. Oh, really? You are a yeah, there you go. There you go. I didn't go to school there. My cousins did, and my older sister did, but I went to St. Helens in Pearland. But yes, ma'am, St. Augustine, I'm very, very familiar. I worked there as a handyman one summer, or two summers, actually. So I'm very familiar. So praise be to God, Martha. It's good to, good to hear your voice. Okay. Thank you. All right, Martha. Are you familiar with how the game works? Yes, I am. All right, then you know that you have to be very careful that Tito can be a little tricky sometimes. But are you ready to play the game? I am. All right, let's do it. The first question, Tito. Now, this question, I got to say, I think this actually is the hardest question we've ever had. I'm looking at this, I'm like, whoo, this is going to be difficult. All righty, Tito, are you ready? I am ready. Then let's do it. The question on the board is name two non-papal patriarchs of the church you know that is tough non-papal that that really confuses me papal as in the the bishop of rome so 
if, if he's a patriarch of the West, maybe I, that may have been abandoned. I don't. I, I'd have to go with the capitals, the patriarchs of Ottawa, Canada, and the patriarch of Washington, D.C. That's my oh, answer. Wow, I didn't even. I didn't know Ottawa had a patriarch nor Washington. Very Same interesting. Very interesting. Logic. Okay. Well, there you go. There you go. All righty, Martha. 15 seconds on the clock. Name two non-papal patriarchs of the church. Tito says that the patriarch of Ottawa and the patriarch of Washington count. Uh, what say you, Martha? 15 seconds on the clock. Is he right or is he wrong? What say you? I think he might be wrong. She thinks you might be wrong, she says. Way to go, Martha! Praise be to God, you nailed it. Couldn't be tricked. Yeah, there's no patriarch of Washington uh, or Ottawa, but definitely not Washington, D.C. So you nailed it. Praise be to God. The patriarchs are the heads of their respective rights, or their respective territorials. And the patriarch of the West, of, of Washington and Ottawa, would be Pope Francis. would be the Pope. So there you go. Way to go, Martha. You ready for question number two? I am. All righty. Uh, I got to say, Martha, this is uh, all hard question uh, Friday, apparently. So what is a Methodist Tito? A Methodist. That comes from our good friend John Wellesley from the 18th century. It's a Protestant denomination. That's what, who they are. All right. Yes. All right. Barely hanging on. You know, my, uh, my ex-girlfriend was a Methodist. Whoa. Yeah, yeah. And you she treading uh, on bad ground there, brother. She converted and actually uh, goes to Our Lady of Walsingham now. Uh oh. So there you go. There you go. She stayed angry. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just joking. <laughs> uh, Martha, 15 seconds on the clock. The question is what is a Methodist? Tito said it's a member of a Protestant denomination founded by Charles and John Wesley. What say you, Martha? Is he right? Is he wrong? Or did he just make that up? I think he's right. I think he's right, she says. Way to go, Martha! Praise be to God. Two for two. You got to tell. You got to tell Father Paul at Saint Augustine that you, he's doing a good job of teaching y'all because apparently uh, you you know all these answers. I, I'm thinking these are hard questions, and you're like, Nah, this is easy. I got it. Uh, are you? Do you think you're going to get a three for three? I hope so. I hope so too. I hope so too. And I'm looking at this question. and I got to say, the first two questions a little difficult, but the third question here. It's going to be easy. It's going to be easy. Uh, but, yeah, for sure. And, you know, Methodism founded in the 18th century, so 1700s, uh, whereas the Catholic Church founded in uh, 33 A.D. So, I mean, 33 AD. a little bit later, a little Johnny-come-lately. But, nonetheless, uh, they are around. We see them all over Houston. Uh, they actually have really nice churches. And, like, uh, and uh, whenever we have the Reign of Mary, we should, like, take their churches and turn them into Catholic churches. It'd be a good time. It'd be a good time. Yes, I'm eyeballing St. Martin's down the street. Right. It's very nice. Uh, all righty, Martha. Question numero trace, uh, which for those who are unaware, that's actually sign language for, for three. Now, the question here is, this is the sacrament by which a baptized person is endowed with this special strength of the Holy Spirit. Oh, I love this one. Even when I was a cultural Catholic, I went to, uh, to uh, it's a sacrament of confirmation. And I remember my confirmation saint, St. Paul. So nice. it's a confirmation. Confirmation, you say? Yeah. All right. Are you, you're going to confirm that that's correct? Pretty sure. Okay. Confirmed. Confirmed. All righty, Martha. 15 seconds on the clock. The question is, what sacrament 
in which a baptized person is endowed with a special strength of the Holy Spirit. Tito C. says it's confirmation. Can you confirm that, Martha? Is he right? Is he wrong? Is the answer confirmation? He is right. He is right, she says. Way to go, Martha. Three for three. Wow, three for you three. You nailed it. Easy peasy. Uh, lemon squeezy. Right, Martha? Right. You knew all the answers. I didn't even need to ask Tito. I could have just asked you, right? And you would have got all three of those correct? Uh, well, I guess. No, I did not know the first two questions. <laughs> oh, well, you I got mean, it. <laughs> yeah, the first one was uh, really, really difficult. All right, Martha, stay on hold because we are going to draw a name out of the Coffee Cup of Divine Providence. Tito is shaking up the Coffee Cup of Divine Providence as we speak. I would say a quick prayer and see what God has in store for us. And who was the name, Tito? Our winner is the Tuesday Caller, Anne. Anne! Praise be to God, Anne. Congratulations. Congratulations. Wow. We're very happy for you. Uh, you're going to be sent that prize soon enough. A coffee cup of Divine Providence and two books by uh, Bishop Sheen and by, published by Bishop Sheen today. All righty, Martha. I'm sorry it was not God's holy will that your name be drawn from the coffee cup of Divine Providence, but make sure you call back in the future. We love having Houston callers and, yeah. uh, and we're uh, right, right next door to each other. So praise be to God. I love you, gang. I love this game. It's really nice. I, I love it. Praise be to God. I love I'm... to hear you every morning. Amen. Praise Thank be to you. God, Martha. We love to hear it. Thank you very much. I, uh, can, I, can I get that in writing? I'm just going to write that down. Uh, love to listen to us every morning. Uh, thank you very much, Martha. God bless you, Martha. Have a blessed weekend. I appreciate it. And remember, we're still in the Easter season, so keep on celebrating. And tell Father Paul I said hi. Okay, I will. Thank you. All right, God bless you. God bless you. And that's going to do it for today. And we're going to be going off to our after show. If you want to join us, you can hop on YouTube, Facebook, Rumble, Odyssey. But remember, today's the day we send out our email list. So if you want to do that, go to grnonline.com forward slash cdt grnonline.com forward slash cdt sign up for our email list we're going to send that out at noon where we're going to send out the aquinas catechism series plus a link to our private telegram chat so make sure you get that and if not i'll see you back on monday 6 a.m central 7 eastern right here on the guadalupe radio network remember christ is risen truly he is risen thank you for joining us on your catholic drive time where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. Guadalupe Radio Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from the chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas. Welcome to Holy Mass at the chapel coming from Our Lady of Corpus Christi, home of the Salt community. For more information, please visit salt.net. Today we celebrate the memorial of St. Anselm. This Mass is offered for the intentions of our online viewers and those listening through Guadalupe Radio. 
I will look after my sheep, says the Lord, and I will appoint a shepherd to pasture them, and I, the Lord, will be their God. Alleluia. I will look after my sheep, says the Lord, and I will appoint a shepherd to pasture them, and I, the Lord, will be their God. Alleluia. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the Lord be with you. Today we celebrate the memorial of St. Anselm, who lived in the 1000s and early 1100s. He grew up in a noble family in what is today far northwestern Italy, near the border with France. He, at age 15, desired to enter a local monastery, but could not because his father disapproved. After some years, after his mother died and with tensions with his father, he set off with a servant traveling through France. When he was 27, he was able to enter a monastery in back in Normandy, in northern France. He soon began writing. Within three years of entering, he was named prior. Fifteen years later, he was elected as the successor abbot of that abbey, as well as named bishop of a local diocese. During his time there, he wrote works of philosophy, and he helped to make back the leading scholastic center of Europe of the time. When he was, when he was 60 years old, against his will, he was chosen as successor to the Archbishop of Canterbury, against his will because he knew what was going to happen, indeed did, ha did happen, as during his 19 years in that position, he was continually embroiled in difficulties, political controversies, as he sought to defend the rights of the church against two successive kings, in fact, having go to go into exile twice. He died in the year 1109 and has been named a doctor, a teacher of the universal church. One of the phrases closely associated with him is fides querens intellectum, faith-seeking understanding. Rather than let us acknowledge our sins and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. You were sent to heal the contrite of heart. Lord, have mercy. You came to call sinners. Christ, have mercy. You are seated at the right hand of the Father to intercede for us. Lord, have mercy. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Let us pray. O God, who laid the bishop, St. Anselm, to seek out and teach the depths of your wisdom, grant, we pray, that our faith in you may so aid our understanding, that what we believe by your command may give delight to our hearts. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. A reading from the Acts of the Apostles. A Pharisee in the Sanhedrin named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, respected by all the people, 
stood up, ordered the apostles to be put outside for a short time, and said to the Sanhedrin, Fellow children of Israel, be careful what you are about to do to these men. Some time ago, Theodos appeared claiming to be someone important, and about 400 men joined him, but he was killed, and all those who were loyal to him were disbanded and came to nothing. After him came Judas the Galilean at the time of the census. He also drew people after him, but he too perished, and all who were loyal to him were scattered. So now I tell you, have nothing to do with these men and let them go. For if this endeavor or this activity is of human origin, it will destroy itself. But if it comes from God, you will not be able to destroy them. You may even find yourselves fighting against God. They were persuaded by him. After recalling the apostles, they had them flogged, ordered them to stop speaking in the name of Jesus, and dismissed them. So they left the presence of the Sanhedrin, rejoicing that they had been found worthy to suffer dishonor for the sake of the name. And all day long, both at the temple and in their homes, they did not stop preaching and proclaiming the Christ Jesus. The word of the Lord. One thing I seek, to dwell in the house of the Lord. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? The Lord is my life's refuge. Of whom should I be afraid? One, One thing, thing I, I seek, to dwell, dwell in the house of the Lord. One thing I ask of the Lord, this I seek, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, that I may gaze on the loveliness of the Lord and contemplate his temple. One thing, One thing I, I seek, to dwell, to dwell in the house of the Lord. I believe that I shall see the bounty of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord with courage. Be stout-hearted and wait for the Lord. One thing I seek, to dwell in the house of the Lord. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. One does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Jesus went across the Sea of Galilee. A large crowd followed him because they saw the signs he was performing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. The Jewish feast of Passover was near. When Jesus raised his eyes, and saw that a large crowd was coming to him. He said to Philip, Where can we buy enough food for them to eat? He said this to test him, because he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Two hundred days' wages worth of food would not be enough for each of them to have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what good are these for so many? Jesus said, Have the people recline. Now there was a great deal of grass in that place. 
So the men reclined, about five thousand in number. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed them to those who were reclining, and also as much of the fish as they wanted. When they had had their fill, he said to his disciples, Gather the fragments left over, so that nothing will be wasted. So they collected them, and filled twelve wicker baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves that had been more than they could eat. When the people saw the sign he had done, they said, This is truly the prophet, the one who is to come into the world. Since Jesus knew that they were going to come and carry him off to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain alone. The Gospel of the Lord. St. Anselm is known for his phrase, Fidens querens intellectum, faith seeking understanding. So it is that in this vision, we believe, we respond to the Lord in faith, and then we seek to come to understand, to come to understand how this fits with the rest of what we know by observation and reason, to seek to love the Lord with all of our mind as well as all of our heart. This brings to mind a couple different topics that can be of importance to us today in our current culture. The first is the general topic of faith and reason. Now, this is an enormous topic. But one of the things we can say is that in the culture around us, sometimes we will hear, surely, people who say, in effect, human reason can do everything. It is limitless. It can discover all things. And the church has had to say, well, no, it can't discover all things. There are limits. And we need the Lord to tell us what lies beyond those limits. But then at the same time in our contradictory culture, at times we'll hear people who say human reason can do nothing. It is useless. It can discover nothing. And the church has to say, well, no. Human reason can do some things. It is good. It is good to use. And indeed, it, it can accomplish much. So it is that we can study and learn that indeed, through human reason alone, it is possible, especially if one has great natural talent, training, resources, time, and inclination, to discover with firmness that God exists and to discover some things about Him. Not everything about Him. For example, that God is a trinity of persons we could never discover through human reason. That had to be revealed. There are many things we can discover. Faith is not blind but it comes built upon the foundation of what we can observe. And this leads me to the other thing. And I think of my own experience and others' experience, and perhaps those listening, especially those who might be teenagers or in college or their early 20s, who might at times experience questions emerging in your mind, questions that you might think are doubts. You might think, well, wait a second, this question I'm asking about the faith, it seems like it's going to turn out false. It's going to turn out wrong. Especially drawing from my own experience back then, I would like to speak to all those who might ever experience this and say, what you're experiencing is something different. It's not your mind in the beginnings of discovering that the faith is wrong. Instead, it is an invitation from the Lord. For you are growing, your mind is growing. And the previous limited understanding that you had of the faith from when you were younger, when you were a child or in middle school, your mind is sensing is not sufficient and your mind is right. 
The Lord wants you to love you to love him with all your mind. And so in effect, this question you are experiencing is him inviting you to grow beyond that limited childhood understanding to the fullness of adult faith he wants you to have. Now, to be sure, as we know, there are many voices coming to us through things like the internet. There are many atheistic voices coming. We need to make sure that we don't listen just to them, but that we listen to good, knowledgeable voices of the church that can help us to grow in this way. Some of these readily available might be the videos put out by Father Mike Schmitz, Bishop Robert Barron. Also, a big green book you may have seen, The Catechism of the Catholic Church. It's a reference book that really I think every Catholic family should have in their home. The back, there's an index. You can look up a topic and turn and read the paragraph or two on that topic. And each paragraph is rich. It can help us to grow in our understanding. St. Anselm, all the way back in the 1000s and 1100s, knew that the love of his heart and his faith engaged with his mind, and that he wanted, through his faith, to seek understanding. And so may it be with us. So we may love the Lord with all our heart and with all our mind, as he invites us to do. Brothers and sisters, let us pray to God the Father, the source of all life and origin of all good, asking him to have mercy upon the whole human family. For those who during this Easter season have been or will be incorporated into the church through baptism, for those who have been more fully grafted into her by confirmation or first Holy Communion, that they may live in accord with the sacraments in which they share, let us pray to the Lord. For those who work in the advancement of science and technology, and for those who hold in their hands the riches or power of the world, that they may place in the service of others their power, progress, and achievements, let us pray to the Lord. For unbelievers and sinners, for those who have lost hope or who doubt their faith, for those who are afraid of loneliness or death, that they may find in the gospel the strength and help they need, let us pray to the Lord. For ourselves and for our relatives and friends, that Christ the Lord, who willed to suffer the martyrdom of the cross to save us, may turn our sorrow and suffering into joy, let us pray to the Lord. Lord Jesus, who after the resurrection manifested yourself to your disciples and so gave them happiness and peace, we ask that you hear our prayer and give us the joy of seeing our petitions answered, who live and reign immortal and glorious forever and ever. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the bread we offer you, fruit of the earth and work of human hands. It will become for us the bread of life.
Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the wine we offer you, fruit of the vine and work of human hands. It will become our spiritual drink. Pray, brethren, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. Accept in compassion, Lord, we pray, the offerings of your family, that under your protective care they may never lose what they have received, but attain the gifts that are eternal. Through Christ our Lord. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is truly right and just, our duty and our salvation, at all times to acclaim you, O Lord. But in this time, above all, to laud you yet more gloriously when Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed. By the oblation of his body, he brought the sacrifices of old to fulfillment in the reality of the cross. And by commending himself to you for our salvation, showed himself the priest, the altar, and the lamb of sacrifice. Therefore, overcome with paschal joy, every land, every people exults in your praise and even the heavenly powers with the angelic hosts sing together the unending hymn of your glory as they acclaim. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Tegus Sabaot, Plenis Uncelli et Terra, Gloria Tua, Hosanna in excelsis, Benedictus, Qui venit in nomine Domini, O Sahana, in excelsis. You are indeed holy, O Lord, the fount of all holiness. Make holy, therefore, these gifts, we pray, by sending down your Spirit upon them like the dewfall, so that they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. At the time he was betrayed and entered willingly into his passion, he took bread and giving thanks, broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take this all of you and eat of it. For this is my body, which will be given up for you. In a similar way, when supper was ended, he took the chalice, and once more giving thanks, he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. 
the mystery of faith. When we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim your death, O Lord, until you come again. Therefore, as we celebrate the memorial of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Lord, the bread of life and the chalice of salvation, giving thanks that you have held us worthy to be in your presence and minister to you. Humbly we pray that partaking of the body and blood of Christ, we may be gathered into one by the Holy Spirit. Remember, Lord, your church spread throughout the world and bring her to the fullness of charity, together with Francis our Pope and Michael our Bishop and all the clergy. Remember also our brothers and sisters who have fallen asleep in the hope of the resurrection and all who have died in your mercy. Welcome them into the light of your face. Have mercy on us all, we pray, that with the Blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, with Blessed Joseph, her spouse, with the Blessed Apostles, and all the saints who have pleased you throughout the ages, we may merit to be co-heirs to eternal life, and may praise and glorify you through your Son, Jesus Christ. Through him and with him and in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. At the Savior's command, informed by divine teaching, we dare to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy, we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress, as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church, and graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Let us offer each other the sign of peace. On you stay Qui tollis peccata mundi, miserere no hobis. Agnus Dei, qui tollis peccata mundi, miserere no hobis. Agnus Dei, qui tollis peccata mundi, Dona nobis pahacem. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word, and my soul shall be healed.
for those who are unable to receive our Lord sacramentally in Holy Communion, we invite you to pray the act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there, and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. It was not you who chose me, says the Lord, but I who chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Alleluia. It was not you who chose me, says the Lord, but I who chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Alleluia. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Let us pray. Keep safe, O Lord, we pray, those whom you have saved by your kindness, that redeemed by the passion of your Son, they may rejoice in his resurrection, who lives and reigns forever and ever. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go and announce the gospel of the Lord. Regina Celi, Letare, Alleluia, Qui haquem marugisti portare, Alleluia, resurrexit, sicutixit. The Prayer to St. Michael St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. 
prayer of deliverance, Almighty God and Father, we beg thee through the intercession and help of the archangels, St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel, for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one, from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every form of sinful sexuality. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every division in our family and every harmful friendship. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. Thou who said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary we may be liberated from every demonic influence and enjoy thy peace always. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Celebrating the culture of life, this is the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Hello, my name is Dr. Alex Gote, and I'm from Christ the Good Shepherd. You're listening to AM 1430 KSHJ Houston, radio for your soul. <laughs> 